so we, we have this continuation, if you will. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at Scripture that maybe as we read it, we don't capture really the heartbeat of it because we don't put it in context of what's being said. We started uh, two weeks ago, and then last week, Dale just absolutely knocked it out of the park. Um, I mean, it was awesome just to get to hear him preach and, and to worship with you guys. Uh, for those of y'all that don't know, I had taken off last week, and so I snuck upstairs into the, we call it the fishbowl, all the way over the top, and hung out with our volunteers up there and worshiped upstairs. And, and I want to do something to begin uh, our time with you guys before we get to the text. Um, our team that runs the show behind the scenes, the sound, video, screens, all that, rarely get an opportunity to hear us thank them for all they do. Would y'all just do that with me, our crew? Let's thank that group upstairs for all you guys do. Man, it was so much fun last week to get to hear them talk to each other and worship, even upstairs, sing along with that. It was a great Sunday, and I, man, I loved being with them last week. Um, so this week, we're going to dive right into another hard moment with Jesus, that he talked about something that, frankly, if he had said it in our day, it would have been trending. It would have been all over social media. People would have responded. Uh, let me give you a, a key to social media right quick. Say something controversial and put it on Facebook and see what happens next, right? I mean, if you could put a picture of a kitten and people would be like, oh, that's cute. You might get a couple of smiley faces or something. Say something like, kittens taste delicious and put it on Twitter and see what happens next. Um, it will blow up your Twitter feed, your Facebook feed. Um, don't do it on LinkedIn. Those people will hire or fire you. Uh, for those of y'all that are LinkedIn fans. But so we, we, we live in a day full of social media stuff, right? Where people say things and it's put out everywhere. They don't even have to intend it that way, but it's brought about that way because everything in social media world doesn't have inflection, nor does it have heartbeat. So when Jesus says these things, can you just imagine what they would have done to his words and how they would have twisted them? And if you need no other explanation for how big that would have become, that's the reason why today we have so many different religions. Because no one really captures all of Jesus' heart when he says things. So today in this trending uh, sermon, I, I hope that you'll hear a little bit more from Jesus, and especially when it comes to what he's about to say. It, maybe you grew up like I did, that Jesus was a guy on television or that I went to and learned in VBS. Uh, on television, he was this white British guy with blue eyes that would come in and he would talk and you're like, oh, that has to be him. And then maybe you're like VBS, Kyle, that you grew up in VBS, that he was flannel graft, you know, he was put up there and he was like, and then Jesus would walk to that guy and it'd shh, shh. Those of y'all that grew up like that, or maybe you grew up and you don't know much about Jesus at all, and all you know of him is what people have told you and what they've told you, you don't know if you like. And I think that's probably, if we're being real today, the experience of most of our world, is that they're being told a lot about Jesus, but rarely are they told anything that they could really hold on to and like. And Jesus was surrounded by followers who wanted so much stuff from Jesus, they didn't care about the experience. They wanted the swag. They wanted the food. They wanted the power. And Jesus was not the only Messiah during his time. 
There was other guys walking around who were false Jesuses, false messiahs that people fought around all the time. Let's not forget that when John shows up on the scene and he's baptizing people, he's gathered a large following, and he's constantly pointing to the one that would come. So you just imagine that Jesus shows up and he is yet another person that the church at the time has got to defend against. You know, today I think the church has to defend against a whole different kind of Messiah. Um, I'm going to say it and I'm going to go right to the text because I'm not going to explain it. I think the greatest Messiah in this generation is our families. I think we worship them much more than we ever Worship Jesus. I told you I'm going right to text. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32. We're going to go 32 through 37, and then I will come back to that thought a little bit later. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring, pre- to bring peace but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man against the enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I just want to stop here. We'll finish those last two sentences next week, but did Jesus really just say that he came to bring a sword? I mean, we like Jesus who is the peaceful Jesus, right? That when he walks into rooms, doves fly behind him. And we go, oh, yeah, that's that guy. Did he really just say, don't assume that I came to bring peace? I came to bring a sword? Because that kind of falling after Jesus is different than what we learned on flannel graph. Right? Like, we like the stories of Jesus where he loves people. And, and he did. And we love Jesus that brought peace in the midst of chaos. And he did. But he is also the same Jesus in this moment who is saying to follow him is going to be costly. And he wants people to get this from the very get-go. Remember last week Dale talked about the guy that says, hey, I want to follow you, but first let me go back and bury my father. And Jesus tells him, remember the line, let the dead bury the dead. And we don't get kind of full context of that story. It, you know, at what place, like Dale said last week, he was in that story. If it was really that somebody was dying or if he just wanted to wait until his parents did die so he could have inheritance maybe so that he could follow Jesus without want. We don't know where it is in that story, but what we do know is this. When Jesus says to him, let the dead bury the dead, the guy can't take it. And, and in this story, it's Jesus surrounded by people. And you got to know that there's a bunch of people around Jesus. It's the same Jesus that feeds lots of people. It's the same Jesus that heals people. It's the same Jesus that speaks. And they go, what was that? So they're all gathered around and Jesus says to them, hey, I know what you came for. You see, these people were waiting for a Messiah that would rescue them by the sword. And so Jesus gives them their sword analogy in this moment. He tells them, listen, some of y'all think that I'm only here for peace. But let me tell you what I also came to bring. I came to bring a sword. And you can almost imagine them go, yes, it's time. He's bringing the sword. And he goes, in your families. You see, being a follower of Jesus requires something of people. 
It requires all of you. All of you. And here's the problem. We live in a Christianized society. Christianized societies declare that, that everything is good with Jesus. And when we're, you know, when we have moments right now that are anti that from government or from outsiders or from votes, we go, oh, that's terrible. I told you that I got to spend some time in India and being around the Indian people there that when they went to church, it would cost them their lives if they were found. But they would put signs up on the building declaring that was a church. That blew my mind. And to be honest with you, as an American, I was scared to death. Because we would walk upstairs to a church that had a sign that said, we're a church and we meet at this time. Knowing full and well if the government came, they would kill us all. And I was fearful. And when I walked in the room, they would divide men on one side of the room, women on the other side of the room. And there was older people up front and younger people in the back. They put the kids in the back of the room. I just, it's amazing when we finally catch the context that this is exactly the group that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to people that following after him cost them their lives. It would make their families hurt following after Jesus. And so when he says to them, I've come to bring a sword, the question he's asking of them and the question that we must ask is this, are we a fan or are we a follower? Are we a fan or are we a follower? Jesus was having lots of fans come. They all wanted to see him. They all wanted to hear from him. They all wanted to experience him. But they weren't going to give everything to come after him. And that's what he's trying to tell them. Listen, to follow me means to cut your family off. It means that you're going to follow me and it's going to lead you to a place you may not want to go. Because, man, being a follower of me is controversial. Being a follower of me means that we don't follow the ways of the temple. We're following a new way. And if you follow me, it's going to cost you your relationships. Can you imagine what this looks like in Jesus' time when he talks and we hear it? We think of greatness. When he spoke in their day, they thought of contempt. Because he was saying things that were never said at their temples. He was saying things and asking of them things that were never taught to them as kids. And everything he said to them was harsh. And so he gives them a line and he says to them, if you're going to follow me, you got to know. It all starts with this word, denial. Remember we talked about this. Denial is a, a refusal to admit or believe the truth. A refusal to admit or believe the truth. So he tells them, it all starts with denial. Either you will acknowledge me or you'll deny me. If you acknowledge me here, I will acknowledge you there in heaven. If you deny me here on earth, I've got to deny you there. None of the rest of this is going to be worthwhile to you guys. To be a follower of Jesus will require you to give your everything. And then he gives them the line. Y'all assume that this is a peace mission. This mission I'm on is not a peaceful one. It's a costly one. Remember when they said to him, and, and you heard Dell say it, foxes have dens, birds have nests, 
but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. We read that and we just throw it away like it's a nothing statement. Jesus was a vagabond. He slept in people's homes. He traveled. You can just imagine following Jesus was not a a cruise line retreat. There was times there wasn't really a lot of happy people where Jesus was. And when they traveled, it wasn't like they just walked into a town and everybody was there to celebrate them. It wasn't triumphal entry time everywhere they went. It was costly. Following Jesus was costly. Thank God for our forefathers of faith. That group of 11 who were faithful and stayed true. That stuck with him even though it was costly. Do you remember the first disciples? Jesus would go find them on a boat and say, come follow me. And it says they left everything. Was it costly to the disciples? Man, it was costly. I mean, our Bible doesn't give us this story, so I want you to hear that from the get-go of this next statement. But scholars believe our disciples did not end well in their lives. Most of them, it cost them their lives to follow after Jesus and carry the gospel. Can you just imagine for a moment going through harm to your body for the sake of the gospel? I mean, we have harm to our body by getting up when the alarm clock goes off on Sunday. We go, oh, Lord, it's Sunday. <laughs> I've got to listen to Kyle again. <laughs> These guys gave their lives. And so Jesus has this huge group around him. And he just tells them, listen, y'all think that this is going to be an easy path. You can almost just look at Jesus, this is the Corinthian version, right? And pointing at his disciples, saying, I came to bring a sword. It's going to cost young men to lose their fathers. It's going to cost women to lose their mothers. This is what it looks like to follow me. Are y'all sure y'all want to be on this train? I want y'all to know something else. We get that the 11, the 12, you know, with Judas who kills himself, the 11 are faithful. But I want you to know something that's hidden in the text. In Acts, Peter says we need to find another one who has been faithful from the beginning that will become one of the 12. Remember this? And it says from amongst them they found a few and they drew lots and it fell upon one. There were some that stayed the whole time, and they just weren't a part of the 11. There was a group that hung out with Jesus the whole time, and he said some amazingly hard things like, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, and it's going to fall in your families. And he's really given this equation. Every follower of Jesus must decide on what relationship matters the most. What relationship matters the most? Remember I said that I think that worship happens all the time in our society, and I think it's our families that come first. When's the last time we looked at our families and said, Jesus first? I want y'all to capture Jesus first.
I want to show you how Jesus should be first. We're missing this because we've gone to this default of fake. That as long as our family comes to church together, that's how we're training them. That is not scripturally. You train your children in all seasons, in all places, at all times. That's your job. When I was in college, we went to Boston on a mission trip. And uh, we spent a day in New York. It's my one time I've ever been to New York. Spent one day there. It was enough. Um, at Times Square, we were walking through, and as we're walking, I, in front of me were these mascots. Have y'all seen these? Those of y'all that have been to Times Square, seen the pictures? Like Elmo and, you know, the naked cowboy, but he's a different person altogether. But mostly the mascots, people dressed in these Spider-Man, the Hulk. And you walk by, and these, these people are out there, and, you know, Spider-Man's going, woo, woo, woo. And you come and you go, hey, Spider-Man, and he goes, five bucks. And you're like, is this a stick up? What's going on? I knew this would happen in New York, right? They say, no, five bucks and you can take your picture with me. Anybody seen New York Spider-Man? Terrible, right? Like the guy went and bought his costume when it went 50% off at Walmart and he's worn it every day since 1935, right? Like, it's dirty and it stinks, and he's out there, and you're like, bro, I don't want my picture with you. Then the next one walks up, Elmo. He's like, I'm Elmo. And you're like, you don't even have the voice. I'm like, I'd love to take a picture with your kids. I'm like, I bet you would. Back away, creeper. We capture this, right? Like, we can see the fake. We can see right through it. In our lives, we need to identify the fake in us. We need to look in the mirror and really see, are we bringing genuine faith to our story? Because when Jesus tells them, y'all assume that I came just to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And it's going to be costly. This sword is going to hurt your family if you follow me. Because y'all don't capture this. When you follow after Jesus, he comes first. And everybody's going to get in line before him for something. Even you. I, I'm learning this as a follower of Jesus. That as I go after him, I've really got to delete more and more of me. And I go through these seasons where I, I'm, I'm having trouble following him or reading my Bible like I should or praying deeply. And, and I go through those moments, and I'm like, Lord, what's going on between us? And he's like, I haven't changed. So if I haven't changed, finish the statement, Kyle. And I go, then I have. He's like, yes. And I always have to go back to the same thing. The fakest thing in the room in my faith is me. Never Jesus. He is so good to me even when I don't bring him my best. He is so good to me even when I don't have the will to do it. And maybe today you came in and you just said, I don't have the strength today to worship. I'm weary, I'm worn out, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. You have something on your list and because of that you walked in today 
and you just don't have it. Can I just tell you something that I think that the Lord is trying to speak over me that I hope you'll hear today? Even when you don't have it, he does. Even when you don't have the strength to bring praise, he's there. Even when you're broken and wounded, he remains. He's there for you in every season, even when you don't want him there. This crowd showed up around Jesus wanting his stuff. It's like going to Disneyland and only wanting to go shopping there. You've missed the whole experience. They showed up to Jesus and they wanted his stuff and they missed the experience. Today, I don't want you to miss the experience of Jesus. I'm, I'm telling you, he's rich in mercy, rich in love, rich in forgiveness, even when we don't deserve it. Praise God for this good stuff. But today, he loves you so deeply and so richly, so fully, that today he wants you to experience him and not just go home with his stuff. He wants you to leave this room knowing full and well you've encountered God. So I'm going to give you two quick things you can do to experience God today. Number one, come with nothing. Come with nothing. You don't have to praise God with anything in your hands. You don't have to experience God because you have all this knowledge. You don't have to have richness in God because you gave so richly to him. It's not how it works. Not scriptural. Won't line up. Don't come with anything. Come with nothing. No expectations. Only that when you see him and when you experience him, he's there. Second, you ready for it? Come with nothing. Number two, soak him in. Soak him in this morning. I... I took a video this morning as our worship team was worshiping. And I, I could remember back to my first church, and I praise God for Mount Olivet and Fred. Loved that place. Every Sunday, the piano and organ player would try and play at the same time. They would try. Sometimes the song leader would be on the same page as we were. There were sometimes we'd be singing the first verse and he'd be singing the third. But you know what we worshiped? Praise God for Matt Olivet and Fred. This morning I was sitting on the front pew and I was just sitting there going, man, did y'all hear the saxophone this morning? Did y'all see our guitarist this morning? Did y'all see our praise team up here worshiping Jesus this morning? This morning as I was worshiping, I was just going, thank you, God. Because I get to sit in this room and experience you. I just had that moment where I was like, man, I've got to tell the world how thankful I am of what God can do that only he can do. So I started soaking him up. And some of us have come to God like a rock that doesn't soak up anything. I want to come like a sponge. Bring your nothing but soak him up. Soak him up. And then when you leave here, leave full of him. Completely saturated. Jesus richly gives to you. You don't have to give anything back. Come with nothing. Just come. This morning, we have a time every Sunday morning. We call it the invitation. 
It's where we play a song and we stand down here and we ask people to come up if they need prayer. We also take the steps portion of the sanctuary and we call it the altar. And we tell people, you can come and you can pray at the altar. That's a place that we think is sacrificial. You have to get on your knees or sit down low. And there's something I believe really deeply spiritual about bowing at the feet of Jesus. This isn't about bowing at the feet of anybody on this stage or the pastor. None of us can do anything for you. It's really getting right before the Lord and saying, I can't bring anything to you, but I sure want to leave with all of you. And he's going to fill you, and that's what he does. Maybe this morning you'd like to talk to one of us about how to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You've never done that. You don't know how to experience that, and you have questions. Man, I hope that people come to church with questions. Man, it's better than just coming to church. At least come to church with questions. And maybe this morning you just come and talk to us about a question you have. If we can't answer it now, we'll certainly get with you this week and we'll answer it then. Maybe this morning you would like to say, I need Jesus in my life and I just don't know what to do next with that statement. Help me. But no matter what it is, I want to give you the next few things to do as we prepare for invitation. So bow your head and close your eyes. Next few statements that I would like to give you, I'd like you to practice today. I'd like you to bring it back with you each Sunday. During this time as we prepare for invitation. Number one, ask the Lord to empty you of everything that you brought. God, just make me open. I don't have anything to bring you, so empty me of me. Start there for just a second. Lord, would you empty me of my doubts, my, my anger, my past, my hurts, my struggles, my anxiety, my, whatever it is. Lord, would you just empty that of me for a second? Because I want to experience you, Lord. Okay, now, I want you to just say, Lord, I want to soak you up. Because I want to be full of you and emptied of me. So, Lord, would you fill me with you? Let your spirit richly live in my life and may it change me. I'd like you to answer one question this morning while you're still in that spirit. Do you know Jesus? Have you taken a time in your life where you could say for certain that you know? You've said to Jesus, I have sinned in my life. And because of what you did on the cross, because you died for my sins and rose again, I believe you can save me from my sins. If you can say for certain that you've done that, praise God. But if you don't have a definite answer of that time or place where you had that moment, today is your moment. Right where you are, just declare that to the Lord. I need you. I know I have sin in my life, and only you can forgive it. So, Lord, lead my life from here on out. If you prayed that kind of prayer in your life, your next step is to make it known, to be bold in it, 
to let the world know that now Jesus is in charge of your life and you are ready to see him do amazing things. And if so, I want to give you a, a test, a challenge maybe, a dry run at that, a, a quick quiz of it. Here in just a minute, I'm going to be down front. John Mickey's going to be down front. Come tell us. Come tell us and let's try it first before you go to the world. All right, church, are you ready? No more simply coming with our hands full. This morning, in these next few moments as we worship, let's ask the Lord that we might experience Him during this time of invitation. Are you ready? Stand with me as we sing. Let's experience the Lord together.